It's an absolute honor to uh, be here and to be able to share with you this morning. I was standing in the back of the room. By the way, welcome to those of you in this room. Uh, welcome to those of you in the sanctuary and the commons. And welcome to those of you online. I know some of you are watching from across the country. Just uh, welcome. But as I stood in the back of this room and I watched you come in, and then I stood while we were singing, I thought, this room is full of stories. And every one of you has a story. And so this morning as I share, a part of what I'll be sharing is my story, um, my story of uh, what uh, has been going on with us. And so uh, I want to especially welcome those of you who aren't here regularly, and I want to welcome those of you who are here for the first time. In fact, I was thinking back. I remember going to church on Easter morning the first time I did. I was six years old, about. And we were a non-church family. We never went to church. But my mom got up and she thought, well, today we ought to go to church. And I had three brothers, so four of us were herded into church. And uh, as soon as we got to the door, they they uh, moved us off to Sunday school. And my mom went into the service. And I think we got kicked out of that church. My brother, Mike, Mike, if you're watching, Mike uh, crawled under a table. And he wouldn't come out. And so they herded up the Bartlett boys and they got us to our mom. And it felt like getting kicked out. So if you're a first-timer, I hope you have a better experience than that this morning. We are well into the celebration of our family Easter. We have a lot of extended family members here right now who are coming over to our house. But our, our, our core family celebrated last Saturday. And I have a picture. Here's our grandkids. And uh, you'll notice it was fun. This was following the Easter egg hunt. And uh, you know that many of you know we lost Charlie and Bailey in two empty buckets there on the left. But we had a great day. The kids out finding eggs and stuff. My wife is so intentional about Easter. She has this thing where uh, she makes what uh, we all make what is called resurrection rolls. And so there's a marshmallow that goes inside of a crust. And uh, it's white and it's pure and it represents Jesus. Then you put it in the oven. And then the marshmallow like goes away. But they're so tasty that my family has required that my wife make extra ones uh, so that we can gobble those down. Uh, so you have your uh, family traditions about Easter and we're here to celebrate uh, this message of hope and joy. Uh, 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 like many of you, since I was six, I've been in Easter Sunday morning church for years and years and years. And as I prepared this year, I said, is there an Easter message that really meant a lot to me and that I actually remember? If you were in church last Easter, do you remember what was said? Probably not. Except for you know it's about the resurrection. But there was one about 30 years ago I actually remember. And it was taught by a pastor at Nazareth Lutheran Church over on the corner, Homer Larson. And Homer came to the pulpit and he simply asked this question. When does Easter really matter in your life? What's the big deal? When does it matter? And we have a slide of his answer. Here's how he answered for the next 20 minutes. He said, Easter really matters when you're at the gravesite of a loved one. And what I want to do this morning is I want to reaffirm that message. Easter really matters when you're at the gravesite of a loved one. And in order to drive that home, I'm going to read the names of the people in this church family who have had their loved ones at their gravesite because they've been buried in the last months. Listen to these names. Martha Graves, 
Richard Lowe, Peg Paterni, Marilyn Ball Vance, Brandon Smith. May Lindemann, Wanda Van Dyne, Charles Christensen, Cameron Gaffney, Kevin Osborne, Jack Zabel, Raleigh McGee, Gladys Day, Marlon Harkin, Don Kelly, Mary Alfrey, Lloyd Wober, Ben Bartlett, Bailey Bartlett, Charlie Bartlett, Russ Dawson, Ann Meyer, Wayne Weiss, Frank Luchtenberg, Keith Diebler, Tina Behrens, Judy Smock, John Creasy. This is real. People die. And loved ones stand at their gravesite and they grieve and they experience great loss. And many of you had stood at the gravesites of others that aren't on this list. Your dads and your moms and your grandpas and your grandmas and your brothers and your sisters. And you've stood there and you've asked a new set of questions. And for those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who believed in him as the rescuer from our sin and the leader of our lives, there is hope and joy in that moment because of the resurrection. As most of you know, I stood uh, in a cemetery uh, in Waterloo on June 19th as we buried uh, Charlie, Bailey, and Ben, who were killed in a traffic accident in Florida on June 10th. And that moment in the cemetery followed nine days of a hectic life. We got the call from Aaron on Wednesday. We drove to Florida. We got there Thursday. We um, spent some time with her. On Sunday night, we flew back here. On Monday and Tuesday, we were taking care of all kinds of details that you have to do. Many of you know this. Three funerals. You know, one funeral, three people. On Wednesday morning, probably the most tough night of my life, where we had our core family at a private visitation. And then Thursday morning, our extended family came for a semi-private visitation. And then we had a visitation for the public, which was huge and was in the atrium, and many of you were there. I went to bed that night, woke up the next morning, came here and followed three caskets into this room. I could hardly breathe. I couldn't think. I was lost in a fog of grief. And uh, just to bring that moment home to you, I have a slide of my granddaughter, Kaya, who was nine years old at the time. She's off in the, in the side there. She's burying her brother, her sister, and her dad. And she wanted to help with the hearse, with the caskets getting into the hearse. But if you remember, she had a cast on both arms. So all she could do is walk beside the pallbearers with each casket. And that's what she did. And then we left here and we went to the cemetery and I was standing at the cemetery and it was because of the crowds, it was just uh, just the family, extended family. And while I was standing there, filled with loss and grief and pain and questions, these words came into my mind. Never has the resurrection of Jesus meant so much to me. Never in my lifetime 
Has the resurrection of Jesus meant so much as it did in this moment when I'm burying Ben, Charlie, and Bailey? And I know that some of you have been there and you've thought that thought. I know that some of you have stood by a gravesite and you've buried someone you love and you've thought that very thought never has the resurrection of Jesus meant so much. So I want to proclaim as strongly and clearly as I can this morning that the resurrection of Jesus is everything to those who believe and follow him. It's the central truth of our faith. It's our current reality in this moment. And it's our hope in this lifetime and the next. And we grieve and we hurt, but we... Let me say that again. We grieve and we hurt and I still weep. There's this thing in the church like, you won't hurt. If you know the resurrection, you won't hurt. That's just bunk. I hurt every day for my loss. But I don't hurt without hope. I have hope. And where does that hope come from? It comes from the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul says this about us this morning. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be pitied. You know what he just said about you in the Bible? He just said, if you're here and Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, pitiful. Just pitiful. What a waste of time. But the next verse, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Said the Apostle Paul who met him on the road to Damascus and saw the living Jesus. Right there's the message. Jesus lives. As I read the Easter story this year and I thought about Easter coming, I started to think about how much of the Easter story happened at the gravesite of Jesus. I was so touched at the cemetery of Ben, Charlie, and Bailey that I said, how much of the Easter story happened at the gravesite? And you know what I discovered? It all happened there. It all happened at the gravesite, which I had never actually noticed before. So let me review how this goes. Jesus dies on a cross and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus take the dead, cold, bloodied body of Jesus down from the cross. And where do they take it? To the gravesite, the tomb, the cave. And they wrap his body in 75 pounds of spices and strips of linen. And then it's at that gravesite where Pilate does what? He posts soldiers to be certain that nobody steals the body of this prophet Jesus. And it's at the grave site where what? There's a violent earthquake. And an angel of the Lord came from heaven and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And it's at the grave site that the guards were so afraid of the angel that they shook and became like dead men after they had been placed there. And it's at the grave site on the first day of the week, while it's still dark, that Mary Magdalene and the other women get to the tomb, and what do they find? The stone rolled away. And it's at the gravesite where John races, the women go and tell the disciples, and John and Peter have a race to where? The gravesite. And what happens? John waits at the door, and Peter charges in to investigate. It's at the gravesite where Peter sees the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the Bible says in that moment, they still did not understand that Jesus was risen. And it's at the gravesite when Mary is looking into the tomb that two angels appear to her and announce for the first time the most important words in the Bible. 
He is risen. He is not here. And it's at the gravesite where Jesus later in the morning appears to Mary. And when he calls her name, she recognizes him as her resurrected leader and savior and the one who takes away her sin. And it's at the gravesite where Jesus is risen and this gives the disciples great joy and courage to walk into their future. And when Thomas, Doug read this a minute ago, when Thomas questions what happened at the gravesite, Jesus, because he loves him so dearly, says, Here, Thomas, put your fingers into the nail prints of my hands. Put your hand into my side. So, as I read about the gravesite of Jesus, and then all year long for nine months have I stirred at the gravesite of my loved ones, uh, I've had several interesting observations. That's what I've come to share to you today. The first one was this. For 30 years, as I read the resurrection story, and Jesus was on the cross, and Joseph and Nicodemus came to take him down, you know what I thought? I thought, that's interesting that those two guys come to take down the body of Jesus. You know what I thought this year, for the first time? He was dead. And his body was mutilated and tortured and cold. That's what I thought. He was dead. You know why I thought that? Because I've had a new, deeper experience with dead. When the three family members were killed on that highway in Florida... And we had to go in to the morgue and get their bodies released. And then they were put in an airplane and flown back here. They arrived here on Tuesday night. And my friend, who ushered this morning, Rick Holstein, who was also our funeral director, when the bodies got to his funeral home, he called me on my cell phone. And he said, Dave, these bodies are in far worse shape than I was told. You will not be able to see these bodies. And I said, no, Rick, you don't get it. I'm Ben's dad and I'm Charlie and Bailey's grandpa. I'm coming over right now to see these bodies. And Rick said, Dave, no. And I said, yes, I'm going to get in my car and come over. And Rick said, Dave, I've been a funeral director for years. You do not want to do that. And so I had hired him, a really good friend of mine, to do that. And so I trusted him. He told Doug a couple weeks ago, Doug Tinson, if Dave had come, I would have tackled him and dragged him away. And Rick is big enough. He could have done that. In fact, Jeff told him he ought to come up and tackle me right in this moment just to prove it. Jesus was dead. His body was mutilated. It was tortured. If we went to see him, no wonder they wrapped him in claws, just like Ben, Charlie, and Bailey. But then, when he was resurrected, he got a new body. He was walking around. He was saying to Thomas, put your hands in the neoprints. He got a new resurrected heavenly body. He got it. Just like Ben, Charlie, and Bailey are worshiping God on this Easter Sunday morning in heaven with new bodies. Yea, God. That's the resurrection. So as I thought about the gravesite, 
I wanted to bring four responses, four things I noticed. The first one is this. Peter investigated the truth, and so must we. This is big. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. They raced to the grave. Jesus had followed, uh, Peter had followed Jesus for three years. He had seen him like walk on water. He had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead. He had seen him feed 5,000 people. And when he gets to the gravesite, what does Peter do? He charges in there to find out what happened. He was still seeking for truth. We have a God who's not afraid for people to ask deep questions and seek truth. And we never get to stop doing that. That's been my experience at the cemetery. In the last nine months, as I've stood at those grave markers and I've walked around, I've been asking God a whole set of questions. Questions you probably don't think a leader of a church ought to ask. First question. Are you even real, God? Do you even doggone exist? Second question. If you do exist, do you even love me? Third question, if you love me, do you have any power? And did you love Ben, Charlie, and Bailey? Nothing wrong with asking questions. God does not mind our questions. He never has. So if you're there and you're asking some questions, I just want to affirm that. Keep asking. Because the Bible says God is truth. And if he's truth, he can handle any question. So over the last nine months, I've asked those questions. And he has helped me get deeper answers. And I'm more convinced this morning than ever that God is real and that God loves me and that the resurrection happened. And how did I get that deeper understanding? It's by standing at the grave sites and asking those questions. Here's the deal. Nobody gets to put their faith on automatic pilot. Nobody. I don't care how long you followed Jesus or if you just wandered in here and you never even thought about Jesus. Everyone needs to keep asking the next question. And it keeps going deeper. That's what I didn't know nine months ago. I didn't know that I had a whole set of questions I needed to re-answer at a deeper level. And so if that's where you are this morning, I just want to affirm that. Second thing I noticed that happened at the gravesite is Mary was at the gravesite And she was like trying to figure out what was going on. And then here's the verse. Jesus asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will uh, get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Then she recognized him and she turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni. Mary had encountered Jesus before. She she had been healed by her, her She had been healed by Jesus. She had had her sins forgiven by Jesus. She had redirected her life to follow Jesus. And now she needs another touch from Jesus at the grave. And again, that was me. I had followed Jesus. I gave him my heart when I was in college. I've seen him like do so many things through my life. And yet when this tragic accident happened, I needed a new touch. From Jesus. I needed to feel in a new way his presence, his arms of love wrapped around me. And I felt it. In the last nine months, at particular times, I felt the special presence of God. And I needed it, just like Mary needed it in this moment. 
Now, you might need or have felt a special touch of God at some point. I know a lot of my extended family is here, and uh, we felt it in Grandpa's uh, ER room as he was dying, the special touch of Jesus. Um, we felt it. Some of you needed to feel it when you held your first baby. And the people at the hospital were going to let you take this baby home. And you said, I have no clue what you do with a baby like this. They don't know us. Some of you felt it at the front of a chapel where you looked at your future spouse and you had to say those words, I do, I will. And you, this is big. Some of you felt it when you had to take a loved one to hospice. Some of you felt it when you were with the doctor and you got that hard prognosis. Some of you felt it when you had a difficult disappointment to face. So I stand at the cemetery and I need to feel the arms of God. And uh, I actually take my iPad sometimes and uh, I open it up and I play a song and then I sing to Charlie and Bailey. I don't sing to Ben. He never liked my singing. Uh, He always said when we sang Christmas carols around the tree, Dad, pipe down a little. So I sing to Charlie and Bailey, and I sing their favorite song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And I just sing it. And I feel the arms of God wrapped around me, and you need that sometimes too. Number three, the Christ followers at the grave were afraid yet filled with joy. And so are we. Everywhere I look these days, even at the tomb of Jesus, they had the two rails that I've talked about. Because the disciples were really ecstatic that Jesus came back from the dead, but then he said, what? I'm going to go to heaven and leave you guys alone. That was a two-rail deal. And then he said, "Uh, the Roman soldiers are still after us because we're Christians. But he said, go, like Doug said, have peace. Uh, Two rails from that day till now. We had a couple families last weekend have both rails. Uh, Jacinda Canfield was on our staff and now she's moved away. But last Saturday, she had a memorial service for her dad who had died suddenly. And on Sunday, their family had a wedding shower for her oldest daughter. Two days, memorial service, funeral, wedding shower. Two rails. Uh, this week I got an email from a lady who reminded me of how I had helped move one. She was reminding me how powerful Easter is, which I appreciate that. And then she was reminding me on the day I'd helped her because her mom got killed in a traffic accident the same day that her granddaughter, her mom's grandmother, granddaughter was born. Two rails. We have a picture of two rails. Uh, A family in our church gave me this. It's railroad tracks north of Cedar Falls. And as I've been teaching about two rails, they gave it. It's in the center of our family room right now. And whenever I look at it, I think of the two rails. And um, you know what's crazy? As I look at your faces, and I know you, what's crazy is I can name your two rails sometimes for some of you. I look at you and I can go, yeah, there's this rail and then there's this rail. There's joy and service and purpose. And then there's loss. You're struggling with health. You're um, recovering from struggles. You buried a loved one. 
two rails. Uh, the fourth response that I noticed was when Jesus went to P- when Jesus went to Thomas, and really he communicated, "I did this for you." Here's the verse. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, and Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Why did Jesus go to Thomas that way? It was out of love. He saw that Thomas was weak and doubting. And out of love, because of love, he went to Thomas and said, Hey, Thomas, buddy, do it. Do it. It'll build your faith. Okay. It was out of love that Jesus was born in a manger. It was out of God's love that he was arrested by the Romans. It was because of God's love for you and me that Jesus carried that cross up the hill. It was God's love for you and me that caused Jesus to be put on that cross. He could have come down any time he wanted. It was a love for you and me that caused our sins to be forgiven there. And it was love that was the source of God's power to bring him out of the grave. And you and I, we need God's love wrapped around us, don't we? Don't we? I do. I need to feel his presence. I need to know his love. And when you know his love, then there's one more thing. Jesus, uh, when he was alive, he was on the lake in a boat with his disciples and he took a nap in the front of the boat. Remember this story? And the storm came up and the storm got worse and worse and worse until the disciples were afraid they were going to die. And so what did they do? They went to the front of the boat and they woke Jesus up. And they said, Jesus, we're going to die. And he looked at them and he looked at the storm. And the Bible says, he said to the storm, be still. And the storm was still. The wind stopped, the waves stopped, and it was still. Immediately, the Bible says. Immediately. Then the disciples looked at him and said, Who is this guy? Even storms listen to him. And then he looked at his disciples and he asked them the key question I want you to carry home tonight, this morning. He asked them this question. How long must you guys be with me before you trust me? How long must you be with me before you trust me? I think that's the question God has been asking me for the last nine months. I think he's been saying, Dave, you followed me a long time. You've believed in me a long time. But when the accident happened in Florida and I'm driving down there and all I can do is groan, I think the question God's saying is, Dave, do you trust me? And I think when we get back to town and Rick calls me on my cell and I can't see these mutilated bodies, I think Jesus is asking, Dave, do you trust me? And I think when we have the funeral in this room, I think he's asking, do you trust me? And it can be a mean question, except for this one fact. He wraps his arms of love around me when he asks the question. And I'm thinking maybe some of you 
need to answer that question this morning. How long do you need to follow Jesus before you trust him again, trust him deeper? One of our older members grabbed me in the hall out here after the last service. His wife is actually in a uh, nursing home situation. Uh, She can't come to church because she's in too much pain. And he grabbed me and he gave me a hug and he said, Dave, so much... I want to go home and wake my wife up so she sees this because she's in the next era of needing to trust Jesus with her life and her health. And he said, so am I. And so that's the question I leave you with. The context is God in Jesus has wrapped his arms of love around you. And the question is, can you trust him a little more? And if you're new to faith or don't have a faith, The first step of trust would simply say to give all of you know of yourself to all you know of Jesus and say, take me. That would be a step of trust. For some of us who followed Jesus for a long time and believed in him for a long time, there's some new way where he's saying, how long do you need to be with me before you trust me a little more? I'll pray. The band's going to come and uh, sing a song as we listen, a song called uh, All We Sinners, which just reminds us It was love that uh, took our sin. It was love that took our sin. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray for the people in this room and in the sanctuary, in the commons and online that we would each uh, celebrate the joy and hope of your resurrection of Jesus and that we would sense your presence in our life And that this would be a holiday that isn't a season, but it's a year-long way of trusting you and loving you. Father, help us realize what you've done for us. And help us take next steps of trust. In the name of Jesus, amen. darkness flew, the morning broke in light and dew, when day had come again anew, all we sinners sang. In muck and mud, our wretched souls had fallen to the depths below, held eternal, but there was hope, all we sinners sang. We are saved. The gates of heaven wide open. Saved. We are saved. The keys to the great happen Say, say, we 
be alarmed, said the angel. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he was laid? But go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. This is the most important and best news for those of us who follow Christ. He's no longer here. He's risen. It's the most important and best news. And once we grasp it, we can live with joy and hope. So that's my challenge. Go and live with joy and hope. Right in your families, right this afternoon. Go and do it. Have a smile on your faces as you leave. See ya. Thanks.